Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me is David Meyer, as always. And also joining me tonight is Elijah Jakovic. David, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing great. And Elijah, how are you tonight? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing really good. Excited to get into some NFL draft stuff. A week off from the show, and I'm excited to get into this and really unpack what we saw on that exciting Thursday night and also weekend. And so the first one we're going to get into here was the first big surprise of the draft, I guess you could say. It was Trey Lance going to the San Francisco 49ers at third overall. We knew what was happening, one and two, and a lot of people said we also knew what was happening at three. Everyone said, oh, it's going to be Mac Jones. It's not. It's Trey Lance, and Trey Lance is a real exciting prospect. And David, I'll start with you. What makes him such an intriguing prospect and deserving of the number three overall pick? I think he's just... I, he has the highest potential, the highest ceiling. He's a very raw prospect, and there are the skills that you can see. He's got a great arm just overall. When, I think one of the better arms in this draft. He just needs some work. So it's really a boom or bust pick here, and I think that's what uh, they needed to do in San Francisco, and I really like the pick. Um, well, as you guys know, college is very different than the NFL. So a lot of picks that come out of college, you know, like David said, boom or bust. We've seen a lot of those. But I think the thing that made him like a really good prospect was his, as we mentioned, his arm strength is really, really good. Like he can launch it like Patrick Mahomes. Um, it also says that he's very good at extending plays. So he can make plays with his feet, um, even though he has trouble, you know, with um, uh, his footwork. Um, but he can scramble out of the pocket. Um, and he knows how to read a defense, which is very, very important. I know a lot of quarterbacks that really can't do that. But I think the thing that we're going to have to look out for with Trey is the lack of competition. Because he played at North Dakota State. And the FCS doesn't really have any good defenses. So, like we saw with Carson Wentz, like, he came from North Dakota State as well, and he kind of turned out to be a bust. Not fully, but kind of. Um, But I just think that's how he's going to... I just think um, that's how, you know, yeah. Yeah, and this is the way I look at it with Trey Lance is, do I like him as a pick to San Francisco? Absolutely. And I see what was so intriguing, what you really liked about him, and what Kyle liked a lot about him, is you guys talked about the arm strength, his ability to run, all that. And he's also just an exciting player. He's something that San Francisco, I think, really needs. For me, it was Trey Lance or Justin Fields, the two dudes I was totally fine with getting there at number three overall. And do I get why it is Lance? Absolutely. He has so much to offer to this offense. If you look at what the 49ers like to do, it's a lot of orbital motions, jet sweep motions. You see Debo Samuel used as a running back. So there's so much creativity there with that offense. And Trey Lance fits right into that. He's now just another piece. And that's what the 49ers like to do. They like to have an offense full of players that, let's say, they they don't have a position. Let's call it that. You have receivers that play running back. You have getting a lot of carries. 
You have a fullback who's used as a receiver. They line him up in the slot quite a bit. And you have a tight end who is one of the better blocking tight ends in the league. And also, just a couple years ago, had set the record for most receiving yards in a single season. They like guys that can do it all. So it's easy to see why Trey Lance is the pick there. He's going to step right in to this situation. And also, the thing about the 49ers offense I think is going to help him out a lot is the fact that you saw Nick Mullins, C.J. Beathard, Jimmy Garoppolo win games last year, and none of them won games necessarily throwing for 300 yards a game. It was a lot of those dump-off passes, slant routes, and just a lot of creativity by Kyle to set up open receivers throughout these ball games. I think for Trey Lance to come into this situation, it's not a bad one for him. You got Jimmy Garoppolo there who he can learn from. Like You talked about the FCS level. It is going to be a big jump. Jimmy Garoppolo was also an FCS quarterback. So he knows what it takes to develop a quarterback like that. So I really think that having Jimmy Garoppolo is going to help him. Because we all talked about it. He's the rawest prospect, but he also could be the best one, depending on how it works out. So for me, getting behind Jimmy Garoppolo, getting with Kyle Shanahan, who's one of the best offensive play callers in the league, I think everything we thought about Trey Lance just went up a little bit more, knowing he gets to deal with Kyle Shanahan. And now looking at Trey Lance in this offense, I just talked about how Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be there. and They did not trade him during the draft like some people thought. I personally thought they would. He'd be gone by now, but he wasn't. That brings up the good question here. Is Trey Lance the week one starter? Uh, for me, he's not. He needs, like, like you said, Elijah, the competition there at uh, North Dakota wasn't great. He's going to kind of adapt to the NFL a little more slowly and I think that's the right approach like I said he's he's very raw I think he has again the highest ceiling out of the non quarterbacks out of the quarterbacks that weren't picked ahead of him so he needs work uh, specifically with his footwork and he's going to get that with time sitting behind Jimmy Garoppolo and I think we could see him starting, depending on how Jimmy G does throughout the weeks. We could see him starting week six, week seven. So, if you guys haven't seen, um, the week one schedule uh, came out this morning, and the 49ers play Detroit on week one. So, for me, I would say, I'm pretty sure this goes for every NFL head coach, but I would start the quarterback that performs best in practice. I mean, obviously, Jimmy G has worked with Kyle Shanahan's system for a number of years now, but that doesn't mean he would be the best fit for the team. So, but as David mentioned, he has he is coming from the F FCS level. So for me personally, against the Lions on week 1, if I was Kyle Shanahan, start Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, and I also think Jimmy Garoppolo starts week 1. And I also think that Kyle Shanahan though, you have to look at it this way too. He's going to change his offense quite a bit for Trey Lance. This is going to be a new look offense in a way because Jimmy Garoppolo is probably one of the most immobile quarterbacks in the league since he tore his ACL. Mm -hmm. And now you have one of the more mobile guys in Trey Lance. And the thing about this pick for me, I don't think he starts week one for this simple reason, is Kyle said over and over, when Trey Lance is ready, he will take over. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if it's by week two, three, I mean, it is what it is. 
But the thing about it is, Trey Lance just turned 21 years old. Uh, I believe it was last week, last Friday. He just turned 21 years old. Mm -hmm. He's younger than me. He's the youngest uh, player in the NFL currently. When you have a guy like that, it gives you that opportunity to let him sit behind a Jimmy Garoppolo. Because when Jimmy Garoppolo's on the field, you saw the record and what he puts out there. They're successful. They win games. His issue is he gets injured. If he is to get injured, you now have a very nice prospect in Trey Lance behind him. So for me, I'm riding with Jimmy Garoppolo until Trey Lance 100% proves to you that he is ready because there's no rush here. There really isn't. Kyle and John both got six-year extensions. They know what they have there. Jed York has given them all the opportunity in the world and let him keep Jimmy G and let them go up and draft a quarterback. They're going to make sure that he's ready because this is his, this is their guy. If he doesn't work out, it, now you have to worry about your job security at this point because you did make a big move to go get him. So for me, Jimmy G week one. But I will say, just to play devil's advocate of that a little bit, you look at the 49ers start to their schedule. They have Detroit and obviously still just a leak at this point. They have Philly week two, both on the road. Then they have Green Bay at home for their season, their uh, home opener. With those first two games, if you are Kyle Shanahan and you want your quarterback to get, let's say, a softer start, those would be two nice games to start out with. So you have to look at what this schedule does too. If Detroit and Philly are the easiest weeks within the first six weeks, would you be more likely to put him out there? Because you know now we can have a little, a softer start, you could say, with Detroit, a very struggling team. Philadelphia, they also, there's not much direction with them right now. They're so up in the air and playing in the NFC East. So I think the schedule is going to have a big say in what they do as well because if things get real tough after week eight, week nine, can you afford to not play him that long and go put him out there against good competition later? I think that's a good question. And now our last point here on Trey Lance. Looking at the situation he's coming into, the San Francisco 49ers just a year ago were in the Super Bowl. They lost to the Kansas City Chiefs, and they were about six minutes away from winning that game, up 10 in the fourth quarter. This team last year, everyone expected them to still be successful, got ravaged. The most injury, most injury, uh, injuries to a team since, I believe, 1998, 1997. So when you look at this and that team and how much, how much injury they had, now they're all going to be back healthy, really not losing much to free agency. Their biggest loss in free agency was Kendrick Bourne, their number three wide receiver. Is this the best situation we've seen a young quarterback a top 10 pick, top 15 pick step into since Patrick Mahomes stepped into the playoff-ready Kansas City Chiefs? I think so. He's definitely coming into a playoff-ready team. This The 49ers probably should have made the playoffs last year. Uh, they were really close to making it. Um, really, just injuries were the biggest issue. Um, there are some cases to be made for other guys. Lamar Jackson came into a pretty good situation, as did Josh Allen. But I think Trey Lance is probably just ahead of those guys um, in terms of the team he's coming into. It's, it's going to be interesting to watch how he grows with the 49ers and how that team develops him and the team overall. I think... He is if Kyle Shanahan uses him right. Because you because we're you guys are getting the 49ers are getting uh Mostert back. 
from injury. You guys still have Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Kyle Juszczyk. Um, They kept their whole offensive line. Their defense is still stacked. But keep in mind, now it gets harder because the NFC West is going to be the most competitive division this year. Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, he's got weapons. Arizona loaded up this offseason. Rams got Matthew Stafford now. They signed Deshaun Jackson. So, like I said, I think he will if Kyle Shanahan uses him right. So, yeah, I... For me, yeah, I think this is the best situation for a young quarterback just because some of the variables that I talked about earlier with Kyle and his ability to scheme open wide receivers, it's going to make it a lot easier on a rookie guy Mm -hmm. to have uh, open wide receivers throughout the ballgame. And the thing about Kyle is he can use Trey Lance almost like – this is a comparison they use with Jared Goff and Sean McVay. He can use Trey Lance almost as a controller, like if he's playing Madden for the first few games to get him ready, just – Hey, I want you. This person's going to be open. Throw it here. Uh, this person can be open. Throw it here. One story that sticks out to me is Austin Hooper. After Kyle had accepted the job mm-hmm. in San Francisco, he do, doing an interview, and he was the tight end for the Falcons at the time when Kyle was there. He said there was a week that Kyle came in and he told Julio, "Hey, we're going to run this." He goes, "Matt, you're going to throw it here. It's going to be a touchdown." And Austin Hooper's like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." They said they ran an opening drive, third play of the game, and touchdown. Julio Jones wide open. He scored. He goes. The guy just knows what he's talking about. That's what's going to help him out. Then having Jimmy Garoppolo, who also came from the FCS, that's going to help him out because now he's prepared in that situation. And like you said, it, it is a tough division to come into. When you look at that when Patrick Mahomes came into the Chiefs, the Chargers were okay, and they were a team getting better and ascending. Denver really wasn't much. They were starting to go down. They are coming. They were coming off of the Peyton Manning high at that point. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the Raiders. I mean, the Raiders, I mean, other than Derek Carr, his year that he broke his leg and they made the playoffs, they really haven't been anything special. So he was able to come into a division that was very easy for him. So I do think that's a very good point. The NFC West is loaded. It's going to be tough. And I think that's really what you have to look at, too, is how early does he get out there? Because the earlier you get him out there, the more he gets some time under his belt. That's the thing that everyone talked about. They said he didn't play that much in college. Well, if that's the case, experience is going to be what you need. So I do think it is the best situation for a young QB just because mm-hmm. the variables of the team. But I do think Elijah brought up a good point. It is a very tough division he's walking into. It's not going to be a cakewalk. So I do think that's a good point. I do think it is the best since Mahomes, though, just because um, he can step in behind Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. Next up here, we have the Chicago Bears. They made a big trade up to get quarterback Justin Fields from Ohio State. He started to slide down the board a little bit, and Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace move up and get their quarterback of the future. Here's my first point on it. We'll start with you, David. Is he the answer for the Chicago Bears? Um, Obviously, I can't tell the future, so I don't fully know, but he better be because... Nagy and Pace are on the chopping block this season. They have to make the playoffs. Even if it's not with Justin Fields at the helm, even if it's Andy Dalton, they need to make the playoffs to keep their jobs. Uh, 
him sliding was definitely very helpful. I think they, the reaching up, I think they traded a little bit too much mm-hmm. for that, um, what was it, 11th pick? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really like him as a prospect, as a player coming into Chicago. I think he's going to be one of the better Chicago Bear quarterbacks. Well, David brings up a good point because, let's face it, the Bears haven't really had a good history of having really good quarterbacks. So, but going back to it, I think Justin Fields will be the answer. I really do. Um, But as David mentioned, I do think they gave up a little bit too much for it because they gave up, it was, believe it was a fifth round pick for the 2021 first rounder for 2022 and a fourth for 2022 if that's right so but i do ultimately think that that's worth it because because i remember on draft night logan i was i was texting you about it um my my family diehard bears fans i i walked I walked out I walked in my my room and I was like I saw the Bears logo up on the screen and I'm like oh good god what did we do so and then I was like oh boy so but me personally you guys remember Andy Dalton got signed when Andy Dalton got signed after uh Ryan Pace tried to trade for Russell Wilson and Pace went panic mode so, I, me per se, Dalton's not going to last till the bye week. No. So, I I do think Fields will be the answer. I really do. Yeah, I, I do too. I think Fields is the guy for the Chicago Bears. And uh, I to get into a little bit of the next point we have here, where, where does he rank among Bears QBs all time? I mean, when you look at their history, you got Cutler, McMahon, Jim Harbaugh, Rex Brosman, Kyle Orton, Sid Luckman. I mean, you could arguably say statistically is their best one they've ever had. Cutler has the records and things like that. Pure talent-wise, he's, for me, top three, top two Mm -hmm. instantly. Before he even takes the field for the Chicago Bears, Mm -hmm. he has that much talent. I do think he'll be the answer. And I also think, when you look at the Andy Dalton signing, I truly believe the Chicago Bears didn't plan on moving up for a quarterback. It was just that they he fell right to him, and they had to make a move. When he made it to the 11th spot, I remember I was like, okay, there's a few teams like Washington, the Bears, and maybe even Pittsburgh that need to start getting on the phones and start trying to move up. Go get this guy. I mean, he's too talented to be there. And I thought New England maybe even get up, secure your guy if that's who you really want. They decide to stay put and take Mac, but – with Justin Fields, I think he is the answer. When it comes to when he's starting, I personally could honestly see it being week one. Not because maybe he's the most ready by week one, but because you guys talked about it, Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, they're fighting for their jobs mm-hmm. right now. If they don't have a successful season, they're out the door. And I will say this, even if they do get fired, let's say after this year, they have a down year and they get moved on from, Justin Fields, at the helm of your team instantly makes you, with that defense they have, instantly makes you one of the hottest commodities in terms of teams for these head coaching candidates. So for me, 
Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace need to be successful now. Like, mm-hmm. it's got to be now because other coaches will be interested in Justin Field. So I think he will be. I really do believe he has the potential. He really is kind of that guy at Ohio State. He never really had a top guy. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, they'll be probably the best receiver duo in college football this upcoming year. But they were both guys that developed under Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. He kind of helped set them up for success. I think he can do the same thing with the Bears. They have Allen Robinson, one of the best receivers in the NFL. They have Mooney as that speed guy also. at the, And then Anthony Miller, too. Both those guys, they could use a little bit more developing. And Justin Fields is the right guy to do that. I really do think he can have success with the Chicago Bears because I do think he's that talented. I loved him as a prospect, and I still do. I think there's a, should be a lot of excitement for the Chicago Bears, especially after fans had to sit there and think their quarterback is going to be Andy Dalton all year long. You have to be very excited about this move. And I talked about it a little bit, where Justin Fields sits among Bears QBs of all time. I went through some of the bigger-name guys, but there's plenty of QBs throughout the Bears' time. David, do you think... Where do, you, where do you think that he sits among these QBs? I'd put him probably sixth mm. right now. That's a little low. It's going to be how he adapts to the NFL that will bring him up the ranks of that. Um, it's I'm just excited. He, he gives me hope. The one scary thing, though is the parallels you can draw between how he was drafted and how Trubisky was drafted. In that year, for Trubisky, you bring in Mike Glennon, and then you trade up for a quarterback. This year, you bring in Andy Dalton, and then trade up for a quarterback. That's that's the only thing that scares me, is that similarity. That being said, I think he's going to be much better than Mitchell Trubisky, and he's going to have a great career with the Bears. Well... If you guys remember the Mike Glennon signing, he went halfway through the year. Trubisky came in. Year after that, Bears skyrocketed. Made the playoffs, probably could have made the Super Bowl. But if you guys are Bears fans out there, you know what happened. So, but as of right now, I don't think we can rate Fields yet since he hasn't played a game. When it's all said and done, I'm putting him third, third all-time, behind Jim McMahon and Jay Cutler. I'm going to put him second if Justin Fields ends up winning a Super Bowl with the Chicago Bears because, and if he breaks Cutler's passing record. Because you guys can make the argument, oh, you know, Sid Luckman, you know, got to remember, game's different now. They not... NFL's not played in the 1940s no more. We're in 2021. So, and I, and me personally, I think the calling card for teams was the uh, college football playoff semifinal against Clemson. I mean, you guys remember the hit he took. He came back in 78% completion percentage. He went 22 for 28, threw for almost 400 yards, Tossed six touchdowns. So, and I remember I was looking on Instagram and a report came out that if the Bears didn't trade up to get Justin Fields, the Minnesota Vikings would have taken him. He would have never played. 
he probably would have played on Monday night because Kirk Cousins, you know, can't win a, can't win a game to save his life Monday on Monday night football. So, but going back to the point, you know, I think I think when it's all said and done, it pending Justin Fields does not win a Super Bowl with the Bears, he's going to end up third. If he does, second. Yeah, and it's when I look at it with Justin Fields from a pure talent standpoint, you look at it, he's probably the most talented guy mm-hmm. that has played for the Chicago Bears, the quarterback position. He really just, that dual threat can do it all type of quarterback. Jim McMahon, he did his thing back in his day. And then also you look at Jay Cutler. He was statistically very sound for the Chicago Bears. He really was. It just really didn't turn into victories as much as the Bears would have liked. He got out to very hot starts, 7-1, and 6-2 mm-hmm. starts. But just, and then you'd see him get hurt or things like that dealt with some injury. I do believe Justin Fields, I mean, you win a Super Bowl, you break the records there. I mean, that's that's big-time stuff. I think it instantly moves you into one of those best guys. And I think right now, just looking at Justin Fields, he's a guy that is ready to take on that challenge. Like mm-hmm. He's a guy that at Ohio State, when you look at it also, you go back to his Elite 11 in high school, when he's going, oh, going up against Trevor Lawrence, they're interviewing before asking about Trevor Lawrence and things like that. And, his responses were, hey, I'm, I'm going to do my thing. I'm just going to go out there and be successful. He goes out there and gets MVP of the Elite 11. He wins the whole thing, beats Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Then you get to the college ball playoff in college. They're 1-2 and two coming into college recruit-wise. They're 1-2 and two right next to each other. Then you see them go off in that first uh, playoff game they had. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence comes out on top, but Justin Fields also was one play away from winning it. Very good game. Mm-hmm. Then you see the second one that you alluded to this past year. He goes out there and he left no doubt that he was the best quarterback in that game. Mm-hmm. He did, and that's who Justin Fields is. So when I look at these quarterbacks at all times uh, for the Bears, I look at Justin Fields and just his mentality. I, For me, if everything pans out and he plays the way that we expect him to play, I truly believe he will leave no doubt that he's the best. That he's the guy in Bears history. I think he can do that just because he has that mentality. And I do love the pictures that coming out. Everyone's talking about the Trey Lance, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, them holding up their jerseys. They're all smiling. And Justin Fields is sitting there, and he has a very straight face. It's kind of that Kobe Bryant mentality, job's not finished. That I'm not happy with this. I'm ready for more. And I love that mentality coming mm-hmm. out of him. And it, he showed you that in that playoff game against Clemson. Mm-hmm. After he took that shot and came back in he was ready to keep on going. He was not going to leave that game. I love his mentality. I really do think he's going to be a good one. And now looking at where he was drafted, jumping up to get him at 11th overall, a lot of people thought Justin Fields could go three, but a lot of people didn't think he was going to go out of the top 10. A lot of people thought he'd be in that top 10, especially with Carolina, Denver, all picking there. Do you think that he was the steal of this draft? I think he's up there for steal of the draft. I think um, it's him or really specifically uh, for the Vikings, Christian Derisaw. They would have been very happy taking him at, I think it was 13 or 14. um, And they trade back, get more picks, and still get their guy. I think that's just a little... um, more surefire for me, Derisaw, because they would have been very happy taking him at 
uh, 14, but they got more picks and still got their guy. So I think he's the steal of the draft, but it's definitely close. Me personally, this this was a no-brainer. Justin Fields was the steal of the draft because I was looking at I was looking at mock drafts all throughout the week, the week of the NFL draft. I if I would have went to Vegas and I would have bet my money on the NFL draft, I would have I would have put my money on the Denver Broncos taking Justin Fields, and I honestly thought they were. But before, but before, I thought the 49ers were going to get him. But after that, after you after they took Trey Lance, I was like I was like, "Oh, so maybe this is a possibility for Denver." They ended up taking Patrick Sertan. I was and I was like, "Why is Justin Fields not being taken?" So, but then again, you can also make a case for Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa that got taken in the second round by the Cleveland Browns. That guy was a stud at Notre Dame. And I was surprised he made it out of the, he didn't make it out of the first round. I was surprised. So, I mean, but then again, you know, he's going to be a good placeholder for when Olivier Vernon comes back from his torn ACL. And, but I just think this means more to the Bears because the Browns' defense is stacked. So I, I just think this, I just think Justin Fields was the steal because it, it would mean more to the Bears. Yeah, and when you look at these picks, you talked about Darisaw, you talked about Cormoa, and another guy that really stuck out to me uh, was a player I really liked a lot was Aziz Elojuari, the edge rusher from Georgia. Liked him a lot, falling to the second round of the Giants, and we'll get into him in a little bit later. I thought that was a very good pick by them. Those are all steals, in my opinion, and those are really good picks where you got them. For me, I say yes to Fields being the steal of the draft, and I'd say that because... I look at it in terms of franchise-changing pick. When you look at these other guys, they're going to be very good players for their teams, especially relatively where you got them at in the draft. Second-rounders for most of the guys. Those are very good picks, and they're going to be really good. Justin Fields has the opportunity to change the franchise. He can be the face of the Chicago Bears and turn everything around. That's, for me, why he is the steal, because... One, I I thought, okay, you look at number three overall, that's his first target place. He could go there. Then four, I even thought maybe Atlanta decides to take him. They don't think he's, they think, okay, Justin Fields might be the guy. You don't, you it, as a coach, you're not ever going to say, yeah, I'm going to be picking the top five again. <clears throat> so now you take Justin Fields there, Georgia boy, you take him there. Yeah. They don't. And then you get to five, Cincinnati. They just took Joe Burrow, so you move on. Mm-hmm. And then you get the sixth overall with Miami. They just took Tua, so you move on. But you start looking at this pick number six. That could be a trade-up spot for a team trying to hop up and go get them, especially a New England who's sitting at 15. That's your guy. Go up and get them. Then you look seven. Detroit, they have Goff. I, Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Jared Goff. There you go. Maybe you take them. There were just so many spots that, and one to me that really surprised me, when I saw him still on the board, I really thought, oh, yeah, that's the pick, was Carolina. I did think Carolina made a lot of sense for him, especially when you look at how they've handled this offseason. For me, I know they trade for Sam Darnold. 
but I don't think Sam Darnold is a realistic long-term piece there. I think he can be successful and with Joe Brady especially, but I don't see him, especially what they gave up for him, as the long-term answer for the Carolina Panthers. So if you thought Justin Fields was your guy, and I'm not in their front office, so I don't know where they had him ranked, but if they ranked Justin Fields as their guy, there's another spot he could go. The fact that he made it to 11 was surprising to me. The fact he made he got to the Bears was surprising to me because they moved up and got him. It was the right choice, but I was just surprised that he made it to 11. <laughs> For me, I think he is the steal because out of all the guys that we've all talked about, he has the opportunity to make the most impact on his new team and impact on league history if he does pan out. So for me, yeah, I do think he Mm -hmm. is the steal of the draft. We're going to take our first break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to get into another quarterback that got taken. That's Mac Jones falling to the 15th overall pick of the New England Patriots. Don't go anywhere. Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. With me is David Meyer, and I'm Logan Howe, as always. And now we're going to continue through some of these draft picks that landed in interesting spots. The next one up, like I said earlier, is Mac Jones falling to the 15th overall pick to the New England Patriots. And Mac Jones is a guy that there was a lot of hype around him, possibly being the third overall pick. If he didn't go three, no one really knew where he was going to fall at. It's number 15. How do you like the fit of Mac Jones to the Patriots? I'm a big fan. I think this is the ideal spot. Uh, Just he kind of reminds me of Tom Brady. I don't think he's he's obviously not at that level yet, but he's the most Brady-esque quarterback out of the uh, quarterbacks taken in the first round. He's not the most athletically gifted. Uh, He's not the fastest, but he's an intelligent player who's going to do pretty well, make good reads. And we've seen Brady really work well with Belichick. I think Mac Jones is going to come in and be pretty similar to Brady and with that kind of fit with Belichick. Yeah, and for the fit, Mac at 15, I like that. I like the draft fit. Um, where he fell to. I think that's good value for Mac Jones. I really do at 15th overall. And then also talking about scheme fit with New England Patriots, Josh McDaniels was a pure pocket passer type of guy. I mean, you look at what he did in New England the first time, obviously with Tom Brady and Matt Castle. And then you look at what he does in Denver when he was the head coach there for a very, very short stint with Kyle Orton, pocket passer. Then he has Tom Brady again. He's also involved in drafting Jimmy Garoppolo. And then you see them go to Cam Newton. And I thought it was maybe, okay, a sign that Josh McDaniels, who at one time was considered one of the more creative play callers in the NFL, wasn't an opportunity to develop this offense and change it. The Cam Newton experiment didn't really work out all that great because he dealt with COVID, injuries, among other things, and just a lack of weapons whatsoever with that team. And now he's deciding he wants to go back to what he's used to, the pocket-passing quarterback. And Mac Jones is a guy that, and I know, especially for me, I talked about it at number three overall, how I did not like that pick whatsoever. But Mac Jones at 15, and it's a respectable spot for him to fall to, especially the Patriots, he still is a talented QB. He doesn't have the best arm in the class, 
but he definitely is up there in terms of his arm. It's not like he's just undershooting wide receivers consistently, and there are times where you see him undershoot receivers, don't get me wrong, but it's not a consistent uh, thing from him. And you also have to look at who he's throwing to. He's throwing to Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith, who are two of the fastest receivers we've seen in the last few years come out of the draft. And then also, his mobility is not the best, but within the pocket, he really is one of the better pocket-passing guys because he's so good with his footwork. He's able to avoid defenders without necessarily leaving his platform to throw. So for me, that's what Josh McDaniel is going to want. What's interesting, though, is you kept Cam Newton, and now you're going to go Newton to Mac Jones. I, I, I don't know if that's necessarily how it is going to work because you have Cam Newton, who's a running quarterback. That's going to be his style. You can't put him in a Mac Jones-esque system. He won't be successful. And then you're going to have to transfer to Mac Jones. So do you keep the running style? What do you do there? Do you change your offense mid-year? I think that's a lot harder to do, going from a runner to a pocket guy than from a pocket guy to a runner. Because in terms of what the runner can do, he can pass the football just fine. He just adds a new addition to your offense as a pocket guy would be taking away. So for me, they have to find a way to find a happy medium between Cam's offense and Mac's offense. And if they can do that, they'll be fine. And they may even make the playoffs this year. They, they made a lot of big moves. And their division is tough. you got Miami, Buffalo. And the Jets, I don't think, are going to be a slouch. They're not going to be a just easy win like they have been the last couple of years. So for me, they could possibly get in as a wild card if they find a way to get this offense rolling. There's weapons now. You have Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar. No, they're not the greatest receivers, but they are something compared to what they had. Then also Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, you have some legit targets. I think it's finally time that Bill Belichick says, hey, I just watched Tom Brady leave and go win a Super Bowl. It's time I go do something as well. And that leads me into my next point here. When Roger Goodell was, when he was talking to Mac Jones, Mac Jones said to him, this is where I wanted to be all along. If you were Mac Jones, would that be the case for you? Would your dream fit be falling to 15 with New England Patriots? Or do you think that he was just saying that because he had to? I think it could be both. There is definitely a good spot uh, in other places. Uh, you could have definitely gone to San Francisco and been in a pretty solid situation. But I think besides San Francisco, uh, the Patriots are the best situated right now. Their offense wasn't great, but they added a lot of tools in uh, the offseason in free agency, and their defense was incredibly good, albeit aging. Uh, so it's a good situation, and I'd guess Mac Jones is probably starting week one. I'm I'm kind of weird, but what I would love to see you have that running threat with Cam Newton, and you have a pocket passer with Mac Jones. Two quarterback set. <laughs> Come on! It's the perfect time. It's the perfect time for the revolution. The two quarterback sets. Do it, Belichick. Do it! Well, you know, if you did want to find a way to get them both on the field at the same time, I think Cam Newton would be a better tight end than somebody who just got signed recently to play tight end, but... That's something we'll get into in a little bit. Yeah, for me, with the Patriots, when you look at some of the places he could have gone, obviously, sure, San Francisco could have been a very good spot for you. But at the same time, 
there would be a lot of backlash. You'd have a lot of pressure on being San Francisco's quarterback. If you aren't as good as Justin Fields or Trey Lance, you instantly become kind of, you become what Mitch Trubisky, what happened to him? I mean, constantly compared to Mahomes and Watson, who just turned out to be generational talents at the quarterback position. And it's nothing against Mitch Trubisky. He just wasn't, he didn't have that talent level that Watson and Mahomes do have. I think that's what we would have saw from Mac Jones had Trey Lance and Justin Fields panned out like everyone expects them to. He would just been that guy who's just not as talented. But now that he's at 15, it takes some pressure off. You're stepping into a system that's been successful 20 years with the pocket passer. Not a lot of teams can say they've been a successful franchise for 20 years without changing anything on their offense. Just putting a quarterback back there and letting him be your best player every single year. You now step into that type of system. And being with Josh McDaniels, yeah, he's one of the better play callers in the league. He's not as creative as he used to be, but he's still one of the better play callers in the NFL. I think it's a good fit for him. Is it the is it where he wanted to go all along? Sure, yeah, it could have been. He could have had very good meetings with Bill Belichick, things like that. So I think all that checks out to me. And I really do think that they have a chance for him to be special, let's say. I think he can be a good quarterback, especially being 15th overall. It alleviates some of that pressure I talked about earlier. Now looking at New England's franchise in general. They have just been a quarterback powerhouse since the 90s. It started with Drew Bledsoe. A lot of people forget about Drew Bledsoe. He was before Tom Brady. And Drew Bledsoe was a guy who took the Patriots to a Super Bowl and was a playoff team every single year with Drew Bledsoe. He goes down to injury and in steps Tom Brady, who just happens to be the best quarterback of all time, sixth-round pick. It doesn't really work out like that a whole lot, but it did for them. And then you look at, they bring in Matt Castle, and he also goes 10-6 and the year Tom Brady goes down. He then gets traded off and becomes quarterback of the Chiefs and bounces around from there. Then you look at some other guys, like Brian Hoyer, who also, he didn't necessarily play a whole lot for the Patriots, but just because he was a Patriots quarterback, got chances elsewhere. One specifically in Cleveland. He was 7-4 and before he tore his ACL with the Cleveland Browns. Then you look at other guys like Ryan Mallett, who only played like one or two games, but go get a job somewhere else as a starter to backup. Or type, let's call it a Matt Flynn type of QB, where you are brought in to be the guy, but you get replaced. Then Jimmy Garoppolo comes in, gets traded to the Niners, takes the Niners to a Super Bowl. Jacoby Brissett, he's a guy, also plays a couple games, gets traded off for picks. The Patriots just bring in quarterbacks, show they can be successful, and then send them off. Now looking at all the quarterbacks I just named, can Mac Jones be the next franchise guy for the Pats? They've always had Brady, so they never had to worry about getting rid of their Tom Brady because they've had him, so they've been able to trade off some of these other guys. But can Mac Jones be the franchise quarterback of the New England Patriots? I definitely think he can. It's Obviously, there are so many variables of how he plays and the system around him, but he has the build and kind of the mentality of a franchise quarterback. He doesn't take a lot of hits. That does that is because he lacks mobility, but we've seen teams work around that, specifically the Patriots. And I think he just needs a couple more weapons, specifically a wide receiver or two. They're not terrible at 
the wide receiver position, but they could definitely be better. And I think there's still some kind of lower-name guys, uh, like low-risk, high-reward guys on the market as free agents that they could add, and I think they'll add wide receivers in the draft, uh, this upcoming 2022 draft. Uh, And I think he could be a quarterback for New England for a long time. Yeah, I think he can be the next franchise guy. Sidham didn't work out. Cam Newton was never brought in to be the franchise guy. He was always kind of be a couple-year experiment. He's never going to be a long-term answer for them. I do believe that Mac Jones can be that answer for them, but he needs to have a lot of things go right early on. They can't have his career kind of, let's say, struggle and then start to catch a high. He's going to have to just get rolling from the very beginning and let this guy gain that confidence that you saw at Alabama. At Alabama, he sat behind two very good college quarterbacks. You look at Jalen Hurts and Tua, they're two of the best college quarterbacks we've seen in the last five years in terms of play with their college teams. And draft-wise, they didn't get drafted as high, but what they did for college football can't be understated. Mac Jones sat behind that. He comes out last year and is very successful. I think right now you're in a situation where you can do the same type of deal. Cam Newton and Jarrett Stidham, that, that experiment I think is over. I don't really like um, Jarrett Stidham all that much in this offense. I think that he can really just get his feet and be the guy. And Josh McDaniels is going to set him up to be the guy. They're not going to just let him go out there and not be successful. And that's one thing that I think Josh McDaniels is going to have to adapt to. And I think he learned with Cam Newton and Jarrett Stidham this past year, and even Brian Hoyer for a little stint there. You no longer have Tom Brady. You no longer have a guy that can make all the right calls in the line of scrimmage, make any audible, make any throw, and is just one of the smartest guys post-snap the NFL has ever seen. You are not going to have that probably ever again. So for me, it's about Josh McDaniels. Can he adapt and show that, yes, we can be successful with a quarterback that isn't Tom Brady? I think they can. I think this last year really showed what they need to do in order to do that. Next up here, the fifth overall pick. The Cincinnati Bengals took wide receiver Jamar Chase, paired him back up with his college quarterback, Joe Burrow, and that's not the only combination we saw go back together this year. You look at Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, and also Tua and Jalen Waddell. Right now, though, we're talking about Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. Fifth overall pick. I know you and Braden didn't have Jamar Chase going fifth. I did, but also I said that it wasn't necessarily the right choice when I said I had him going fifth overall. Do you think Jamar Chase is the right choice at that fifth pick? I'm going to say no. That's It's not a bad pick. Definitely adding weapons around your young quarterback is a good choice. But when you have a as close to a surefire player at an important position that's also a position of need. You have Sewell at left tackle that he's starter day one and you desperately need a left tackle. I'm I'm just unsure how you pass that up. That's just my opinion. Jamar Chase is going to be very talented, especially paired with Joe Burrow. It's just going to be How much time is Joe Burrow going to have to throw? Will he stay healthy with the Bengals line? It 
he can have all the best weapons in the world, but if he doesn't have time to throw, he's not going to be able to do very much and you're not going to win games. So it's not a bad choice. I just would have gone in a different direction. Yeah, for me, I'm going to say that I like the choice. I, I do like Jamar Chase, the fifth overall there, because... And if it was any other receiver, if it was Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, I would instantly say, no, I wouldn't have done that. But the fact that it's Jamar Chase and you're putting back one of the best combinations that college football's ever seen back together, I, I think it is. I, I like the choice there. I think putting Jamar Chase with Joe Burrow instantly takes the Bengals offense from kind of, eh, okay, into that next level of uh, we're borderline elite. We're good. We are a good borderline elite offense in the NFL. And they have so much other weapons around him. You look, They lost um, A.J. Green and John Ross, but you still have Tyler Boyd, who's an underrated receiver in the NFL. And then you look at the running back position. You have Joe Mixon, who's one of the better running backs in the NFL. Now you have Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase. I think Jamar Chase can be special. He's been the best receiver in college football since he stepped foot on the field for LSU his freshman year. It was consensus that he was going to be the top receiver taken in his draft since he stepped foot on the field for LSU. So for me, taking him at five there, I like the choice. Would I? Would you rather like to go tackle there? Yeah, sure. I totally understand uh, going tackle there because Sewell, like you said, is a surefire pick. Like He's going to be good. It, there's not much bust potential to him. Jamar Chase, I think, is also in that same boat, though. I think Chase is also kind of that surefire, okay, he's going to be good. It would take a very bad play caller to make Jamar Chase look bad. And I'm not going to say it's impossible because I've seen Le'Veon Bell go from one of the best running backs in football to nothing because of a play caller. So I'm not going to say that it's impossible. But in the system, the Zach Taylor runs, kind of that Shanahan, McVay, LaFleur offense, I think Jamar Chase can be special. So for me, I do like the choice there, taking him fifth overall. And now looking at Jamar Chase, do you think he can develop into a true number one receiver? When we look at these number one guys, I mean, you think of Adams, you think of Julio, you think of Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins. Do you think that he can develop into that number one role? I think he definitely can, and it's quite possible he steps in day one with you know, a little bit of work in training camp, uh, the preseason, he can step in week one and be that number one wide receiver for the Bengals. He's just incredibly talented overall. It's going to be really exciting to see how he progresses and that relationship with Joe Burrow and how that uh, evolves in the NFL. But overall, I think it's going to be very complimentary and they're going to be a pretty solid offensive team yeah for me yeah I, I I agree he can be a number one receiver in this league I think within two to three years of him being in the league he's going to be in that conversation that top three category type guy and when you look at it we've seen a couple different guys kind of bounce around that top three category I mean Antonio Brown's a guy that was in there just a couple of years ago he falls out of it Mike Thomas has also kind of fallen out of that true top three uh, guy Hopkins has stepped in and Julio's just been so consistent he's kind of been uh, the guy there top three receiver in the NFL I think he can be because one you look at okay how is he going to translate to the league his teammate and um, at LSU Justin Jefferson 
was a receiver that got taken, I believe it was 22nd overall by the Minnesota Vikings, was by far not even, he was not even close to how as good as Jamar Chase was. And Justin Jefferson set a bunch of uh, rookie records in terms of receiving yards and also is arguably a top 10 receiver in the league right now. Like he had a fantastic rookie season. Jamar Chase, in my opinion, is going to be even better. And you look at the situation that he's coming into, no, he doesn't have Adam Thielen opposite him. But I think Chase is a good enough receiver that he can still be a 1,600-yard receiver, just like Justin Jefferson was with this Cincinnati offense, and especially with Joe Burrow. You look at kind of what they did in college, it wasn't always just these deep-shot touchdowns. I mean, it was jump ball, go-get-it guy. Across the middle, make a play, make a tough catch. He really does it all, and you're going to see it early on with Joe Burrow. Chase is just going to be that safety net for him, kind of, okay, plays breaking down, I got to get rid of it. I know Chase will be open. I'm looking his way. That's what he's going to do for Joe Burrow, and it's going to be exciting seeing Joe Burrow and him back together. And now we look at another receiver taken, the third receiver off the board, 10th overall by the Philadelphia Eagles. And this was an interesting pick because a lot of people assume that Devontae Smith could be that second or even maybe even the first guy off the board in terms of receivers. He's not. He's third. He falls to the Eagles. Do you think Devontae Smith can end up, well, let's look at it this way. Will he be the third best receiver from this draft class? It's definitely a possibility. He's, I think, all three of the top three wide receivers taken in this class are going to be talented and like top 50 receivers in the league. They're all going to be good players going forward. I'm not sure if... He belonged at third. He might be better than Jalen Waddle. I think his game is a little more refined than Waddle is. Uh, there were weight concerns. He's pretty skinny. He's not all that tall. And that can uh, give you problems with injuries. But I think he'll be able to bulk up and play well for the Eagles. So it. I like the pick here. There are... I think more problems with the Eagles that are unaddressed, but Devontae Smith at 10 is good overall value. Yeah, for me, being Philadelphia at 10th overall, I, I, getting Devontae Smith was a huge pick, huge pickup for him. I would have never assumed that Devontae Smith would be there at 10. That's why they made the move up in 12 to go get him. And when you look at will he be the third best receiver from this class, I'm going to say no, and I'm going to go in the opposite direction. I'm going to go that he won't be a top three receiver in this class. He's going to fall to that four or five category, not because his talent. He's by far the second best talented receiver in this class, and you could argue the most talented receiver from this class. I'm just looking at where he ended up in terms of Philadelphia. That's just not a good spot for wide receivers to end up. Look at what's happened to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Look what's happened to Jalen Rager. These are guys that... I mean, Arcega Whiteside wasn't a first-round pick by any means. And Rager, you could also argue, wasn't supposed to be a first-round pick. But those are guys that were taken very early, and they just really have not done much. And you look at the quarterback situation in Philadelphia. What's going on there? Who's your quarterback? I And I assumed it would be Hurts, but they won't commit to Jalen Hurts, a new head coach and Nick Cerrani. Can you really expect him to be great? 
I just think there's too many outside variables for him to be a top-tier guy in Philadelphia. And maybe he gets out after his rookie deal and is able to shine somewhere else. But a couple receivers I think can really step up big. One that comes to mind, Rashad Bateman. I think he can be a big pickup for the Baltimore Ravens. And he could even hop um, Devontae Smith just in terms of where he ended up. And then also a couple other ones just real quick here. Elijah Moore going to the Jets. That Sam Darnold, uh, not Sam Darnold, excuse me. Zach Wilson, Elijah Moore connection could be deadly. And then also Rondale Moore going to the Arizona Cardinals. He is like a Debo Samuel type receiver, kind of that running back wide receiver type. I think he could really shine in Cliff Kingsbury's offense. So those are just a couple guys that I think in, in terms of they could end up better and it's not a shot at all to Devontae Smith because I think he's easily the most talented, if not top two talent receiver-wise in this class. It's just that Philadelphia team right now, that front office, there's too many question marks for me to say, you know what, yeah, I think he's going to end up a top three receiver in this class. And I, if you're a Philly fan, you have to be a little skeptical that can they really get the most out of him. So for me right now, I'm going to say not. We're going to take our second break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to get into our favorite picks from rounds one and two, as well as our least favorite picks from round and two. One and two. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Sportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And now we're going to get into our favorite picks. We'll start with the first round here. David, who's your favorite pick from the first round? Uh, for me, it's... Uh, Penny Swell to the Lions, a just solid, very high floor, also high ceiling at uh, player at one of the most important positions in the league, left tackle. He's plug and play. He's going to be a talented tackle for a long time. I can see him being a top five tackle almost right away. It's going to be interesting to see how uh, the Lions continue their rebuild because I don't think uh, Goff is the answer there. I think they still have just too much time between right now when he is good till when they're ready to compete. So we might see Sewell play first four seasons for the Lions and then get traded for a host of picks. That's kind of how I see it, but getting him at seven is an absolute steal. He should have been gone by four or five, and him dropping to you at seven is just fantastic. Yeah, Sewell was also my favorite pick, but my other another one that I really did like in the first round was the Colts pick at 21 overall with Quiddy Pay, edge rusher from Michigan. And I he wasn't my favorite edge rusher from this class, but when I look at him in terms of the Colts and putting him on that defensive line, I instantly I'm like, okay, that's that's a pretty good defensive line they've built up. And I think Quiddy Pay's perfect for that Colts team. When you look at it, that Colts team's so fast. It's just built on speed. And Quiddy Pay is gonna fit in. He's a quicker edge rusher. But what I really like about it is his power. You're now adding that power rush to the end. You have DeForest Buckner on the inside, who is just such a good finesse pass rusher in turn from the defensive tackle spot. Darius Leonard at linebacker and a very underrated secondary. 
I just feel like Quiddy Pay is the perfect pick for the Colts. And when I look at this draft and I look through the whole entire first round, he definitely sticks out to me as one that he needed to end up in the right place, and he definitely did. I think in terms of where he could have gone, the Colts are perfect for him. I think he fits right in. This underrated defense, and he was a very underrated pass rusher in this draft class, in my opinion. Next up here is our favorite pick from the second round. David, who is that for you? For me, it was Aziz Ojulari. There it is. Uh, he just falling to uh, the Giants, who have a pretty solid defense. Uh, they're a young squad, but he's going to come right in and play, I think, pretty well. I had him projected to go in the first round, and dropping to the second, mid of the second round, is pretty low. I thought, as I said, he would have gone in the first round. He's going to be very talented for the Giants, and I think just as a squad, they're going to be better because of him, and he has good player, he's going to have good players around him that are going to elevate his game. Yeah, for me, Elojuari, he was my favorite pass rusher, just in terms of his speed and his ability to bend off the edge. He was just my favorite. I mean, he reminded me so much of Von Miller. I really liked that pickup for the Giants. They're going to have a very nasty defensive line. Him and Leonard Williams together, they're going to be pretty good. For me, I have two picks in the second round that I really like. Now, I'll start out with first, Jeremiah Wasu-Kormoa falling to the Cleveland Browns. I mean, that's a pick that he should have been a first-rounder. I believe I had him, I think, 15th or 16th overall in my mock draft. He falls to the second round for the Browns. And the Browns had a fantastic draft in general, and it started with getting Cormoa there in the second round. He's going to fit in perfect with that defense. When you look at what Joe Woods wants to do, he needs an elite speed type of backer, a guy who can be sideline to sideline, but also knows when to hunt when he's got to. And that's what Cormoa brings to this defense, the ability to get sideline to sideline. Will he ever be that true middle linebacker? No. But where you look at what the NFL is going to, kind of that hybrid linebacker, a more you, re, you rely more on speed as opposed to just more brute strength, that's what Cormoa brings. So for me, I think that's perfect. And also Trayvon Morig going to the Raiders there in the second round, that's another guy I had it picked in the first round. And funny enough, I had him, my first round pick, going to the Raiders. The Raiders take him in the second round. And when you look at what he can bring to that team, him and Jonathan Abram at the safety positions, it's going to be a nice duo. You have two guys that are very fast, make plays, and their, their abilities to be up by the line or also back in the secondary, backed off a little bit, they can do both. You can be a box guy. You can be a single high guy. They can do whatever, and just to have that versatility that you can line up either or, you can really start to mess with, especially young quarterbacks. You can line one up in the box and drop him back into a single high roll while the single high guy rolls down underneath into a kind of a sub-linebacker spot. There's a lot to play with there. I it's The fit-wise, I, I don't necessarily love him going to the Raiders because I would love to see him get with more of a creative defensive coordinator. But in terms of the Raiders getting him, that's a big pickup. I think he can be special. You just have to find a way to be creative with Morig there. 
And now looking at our least favorite picks from the first and second round, we'll start with round one. David, who was your least favorite pick from round one? I was not a fan of the, uh, oh, who was it? The the Raiders going offensive tackle, Alex Leatherwood. He's a pretty talented player at a position of need. He's not bad by any stretch of the means, and I think he's going to be a solid everyday starter. But it feels like a reach for me. The Raiders could have taken overall more talented uh, tackles. Darisaw was still on the board. And I think he's just better uh, overall than Weatherwood. It's it's another uh, uh, tick on the long list of Raider, Raiders reaching for players they just like. Uh I think he can be pretty talented and be a solid starter, but I just, he, he was picked too soon. Yeah, I agree with you as well. Leatherwood was, he's kind of a head scratcher for me at that spot, but like you said, the Raiders are prone to doing that. One guy that sticks out to me is Damon Arnett. They took last year, was a third round talent, like not even like an early third round talent, like a mid third round talent. They took him in the first round. And for me, mine was the Arizona Cardinals pick. They took Zayvon Collins at 16th overall. And I like how they're addressing the defense. Don't get me wrong there. But in terms of kind of the talent you had on the board still and what you want to do as a defense, you had Jamin Davis on the board. You had Cormoa on the board as well. Two very good linebackers that I think are better than Zayvon Collins that you pass on to take him there. And the thing about Collins in this defense is, what type of identity do you want to have defensively? What you've built up in terms of your team is just a quick, hard-hitting defense. So you have in the back end, Buda Baker, and then also you have Isaiah Simmons, and he's a guy that they still haven't used right. They have to figure out what to do there. And then a very good pass rush. You have Watt, Chandler Jones. Now you bring in Zayvon Collins here. He kind of is the opposite of that. He's a slower backer, bigger build. He's going to make plays for you, but especially playing in the the division they play in, I don't know if he's the best fit in terms of linebacker. You're going up against the Seahawks, who have Chris Carson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and they like to use Lockett and Metcalf in the slot occasionally, and you could get in a bad matchup where Collins is going to have to guard one of them. And then also you play the Rams, who are such a high-tempo, just fast offense, jet sweep motions, and Cooper Cup in the slot all the time, Robert Woods in the slot all the time, Cam Akers, and not to mention Deshaun Jackson, the speed he has. Then you look at the 49ers, and they love to pick on slower linebackers. They've done it time in and time again. You look at the Green Bay Packers, Nick Martinez got picked on a lot, two different times in the year the 49ers went to the Super Bowl. They like to do that in... I can picture Kyle Shanahan now, when that pick was taken, that he circled Zayvon Collins and said, okay, we're going to pick on him when we play this year because he doesn't have the speed to match up with what we're going to do because you see all the different motions and funky things they like to do. You take one wrong step the the wrong direction, if you don't have that speed to make up for it, you're no longer in the play and you're hurting your defense. So for me, I thought there could have been a lot better picks there, especially if you wanted to address linebacker. I'm not saying... Uh, if you want, I like defense, but linebacker-wise, there's better value out there on the board. And now, the least favorite pick from the second round. David, who was that for you? Uh, 
something that I found interesting, I'm just going to touch on uh, what you said. They, The Cardinals also passed on Owasu Koromoa in the second round. They took uh, more instead of uh, going back addressing defense. That's just something I found was interesting. Uh, but my least favorite pick was Kelvin Joseph going to the Cowboys. The need is definitely there, but it feels like a reach. I think he could have dropped down to a third-round talent or a third-round pick. And there are a lot of character concerns there that, especially in uh, the Cowboys system and just the Cowboys kind of culture, that worries me a lot that he could kind of flame out pretty quickly. Obviously, they desperately need help defensively, specifically the secondary, but I think there are better uh, players available with less character concerns. Yeah, and one thing, too, you brought up about the Cardinals that I thought was pretty interesting is, and this isn't my pick here, but also they passed on Aziz Lojwari, another guy, another big-time defensive player you wanted to add. For a receiver, of all things, that's one of your positions, a strong suit. But my least favorite second-round pick, I'm going to stick in the NFC West, oddly enough, and it's the Seattle Seahawks taking Dwayne Eskridge. And when I look at the pick, wide receiver from Western Michigan, I look at who was still on the board. Terrace Marshall Jr. was still on the board. I thought that would have been a better receiver pick for them. And also in terms of what you want to do as the Seahawks team needs help in quite a few different spots. Russell Wilson masks a lot of issues within that team. And, a, and you, I know bringing a wide receiver might help that because you can help Russell Wilson be more successful. But you have Tyler Lockett. You have DK Metcalf. You need help on the O-line. You need help in every position on the defense, except for your safety spots. But also Jamal Adams is going to be a free agent at the end of this upcoming year. And he's going to command 18 to $20 million just because he can. So... For me, with your first pick, you definitely could have went elsewhere with it to help you out. And if you are going to go receiver, get some better value with that pick. And I know the Rams, the next pick, go 2-2 Atwell, but he's also a guy that I don't love in that position. A lot smaller of a guy. But with Eskridge, I just think he's the type of dude that you need a really good offensive coordinator to really help develop. And I'm not too sure Seattle has that right now. I don't... They've never really been the best schematic offense. It's just Russell Wilson makes all these plays. So for me, I mean, linemen, defensive linemen, pass rushers, linebackers, corners, all things you could have addressed, and it would have been worth the pick. But you go in one of your probably your best position on the team, honestly, in terms of wide receiver. Quarterback's probably the best, but wide receiver and safety, your next best two spots, and you address the wide receiver position. I just wasn't a huge fan of that. And now looking at the draft in general, who do you think had the best draft and why was it so great? For me, it's uh, one of two teams, either the Browns. Overall, they drafted very talented players at their draft position. They addressed needs very well. Guys, a lot of defensive players only three non-defensive players and one was a offensive lineman uh just overall a good good solid draft the other one is 
definitely there's some home team bias here, but the Bears, they didn't have a whole lot of picks, and they ended up trading up to uh, kind of thin out the amount of picks they had. But Justin Fields at 11, and then Tevin Jenkins at 39, are both getting very talented players a lot lower than they should have gone. And I think those guys are going to shape the uh, team, the Bears team, moving forward for a long time. Yeah, I think both those teams had very successful drafts. And my favorite was one of those teams. It was the Cleveland Browns. And I liked that because in terms of, look at you said what they needed to address, uh, positions of need, Greg Newsom falls to you. You make the right pick. Greg Newsom, Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams. That is a very talented secondary now. Then you look at the linebacker spot. They desperately needed to address. You trade up and get Cormoa. Very good value at that point. You could have argued that he should have been their first round pick. You're able to grab him there in the second. Great pick. And then you look at the third round. They go wide receiver Anthony Schwartz from Auburn. Wide receiver. You have Odell who's just a playmaker. I mean, he's kind of like that Julio Jones type for your offense. And then you have Jarvis Landry, who's that possession guy. I mean, he's going to make all the tough catches across the middle, things like that. And now you bring in Anthony Schwartz. He's just the absolute burner. Now you have a speed threat to this offense. They got a lot better. And they were a team that already was contending for that AFC. They're a top three team in the AFC right now after that draft. I mean, and you could argue that they're up there talent-wise with the Chiefs. And the Chiefs have the big names and because they've developed. But when you look at what the Chiefs came from, it reminds me a lot of this Cleveland Brown team. A lot of studs, a lot of stars. They just have to develop and get even better. So for me, that's why I think they had the best draft because they are, you could argue, the best team in the AFC North right now. And you look at Baltimore's draft, in terms of just overall roster talent, Cleveland tops them after this draft, in my opinion. And now our last uh, bit about the NFL draft here. Who had the worst draft? Uh, for me, it's going to be the Packers. I think overall the talent they drafted was pretty solid. But going uh, defense again in the first round, not really adding too much on offense wasn't great and no matter what talent you added where that ends up being just how how this draft class is viewed from a Packers standpoint doesn't really matter because you upset Aaron Rodgers and he is your franchise right now if he leaves retires demands a trade whatever everything's downhill these picks essentially don't matter if you don't have Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, the Packers, it, it was definitely interesting. And Aaron Rodgers asked for first-round talent for a few years now at a weapon, a position that you could get him a weapon, receiver, uh, running back, anything of that sort, and they go cornerback. I thought that was an interesting pick, especially because all that came out about Aaron Rodgers that day. For me, the draft I didn't like the most was the Cardinals. And when I look at what the Cardinals did, they have some they got some nice talent out of it, but I felt like, especially the first two picks, the talent that they got was talent that I don't necessarily think was the best value for them at that point. 
I talked about Zayvon Collins earlier at the linebacker position in terms of who else was on the board, where you took him, just didn't really match up for me. I thought if you wanted him, move back a little bit, recoup some picks. But then also Rondell Moore in the second round. I think Rondell Moore is going to be exciting and fun within this offense because Cliff Kingsbury can make him be that type. He can do a lot of things with him. But for me, I, I just don't think that's really where you should have went with your second round pick. When you look at in terms of wide receiver, what you have right now, you have DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, A.J. Green, and with your second-round pick, you're addressing receiver again. Where does he fit into this offense? I guess my biggest question right now. So now you have Collins, who I don't think is a good fit for the Cardinals, then also a receiver that, as of right now, probably won't be a day-one starter, probably going to be a developmental guy most of this year just because they already have so much talent. Then once A.J. Green... His contract is up, and also Christian Kirk, he's going to be a free agent here in a couple of years. Once that's up, he can step into that role. I just, I with other needs on this Cardinal team, I don't know if that's the way I would have went uh, in my first two picks. But the Cardinals will have an exciting team no matter what. But this draft could be one that could have made them take them over the top in a very strong NFC West. Next thing we have tonight, you brought up the Green Bay Packers and the drama they have. Last week, two weeks ago, excuse me, Aaron Rodgers said that he wanted out of Green Bay, was actively trying to get a trade done. Rumors were that Denver was in on the 49ers, made an offer. A lot of things were swirling. And then now Ian Rapport said that there's been a long-term contract offered to Aaron Rodgers that he has decided to not accept, that he's let sit out there and he has made it known that he's not happy with the organization. I think he did that months ago. Made it known that he wasn't happy. But now he's finally starting to be like, okay, Tom Brady did it, so can I. Do you think this is the right move for Aaron Rodgers trying to, let's say, force his way out of Green Bay? I think it's possibly the right move. Uh, he has a, He's in a pretty good spot. He's been the guy, the franchise quarterback of a perennial playoff team that makes it deep into the postseason it's an interesting choice to try and kind of leave that scenario uh ultimately he's doing what he thinks is right but I don't think he's going about it in the best way calling for uh your GM to get fired doesn't seem like the the best choice and some of the teams he's said he wants to go to, the uh, the Broncos are the standout for me right now. The Broncos don't really offer me a whole lot. They're they're young and they could be decent, but I'm not sure if you're making the playoffs year one with the Broncos. It's it's interesting, and the the Broncos do have a lot of cap space, but we'll we'll see how this unfolds. Yeah, and. This is interesting with Aaron Rodgers. Wanting out of Green Bay, is it the right move? Sure, because you feel disrespected. I get that from a player point of view. But in terms of what you're offered, that was a great point you brought up, what you're being offered. There was a report that he thought he was going to end up in San Francisco because they offered a good trade package for him, including the third overall pick night before the draft. That falls through. If you could have gotten your way to San Francisco, where you have a top defense, you don't necessarily have the best targets, but Kyle Shanahan makes them good targets at that that's okay like 
that may be an upgrade, but the Packers are still a top team within the NFC with this 49ers team. Like It's not like Green Bay is just so much worse than the 49ers. And then you look at in terms of Aaron Rodgers, this is one thing that has been brought up a lot that just has never made sense to me personally is Aaron Jones, uh, Aaron Rodgers, excuse me, has always said that he, it will, I guess not he has always said, but kind of the mentality around him is that Aaron Rodgers has never had weapons. Aaron Rodgers has always not had these top guys. And that's just not the case. When you look at the weapons Aaron Rodgers has had throughout his career, he's had top tier weapons his whole career. You look at Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Jermichael Finley. And running back wise, he hasn't had the best running backs, but Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, James Jones, Devontae Adams. These these are the receivers that he's been playing with his whole time here in Green Bay. When you compare them to other receivers within the league and other teams' receivers, they're by far and away better than what a lot of quarterbacks have dealt with. You look at Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning also had good targets, but I'd say they're on par with what Aaron Rodgers has had. Then you look at Tom Brady. Tom Brady has not had near the type of weapons until now that Aaron Rodgers had his whole career. Tom Brady... He won the first couple Super Bowls with Troy Brown at wide receiver, who was a cornerback that had to play receiver because of injury. Wes Welker. He had Randy Moss for two years, and they lost the Super Bowl with Moss. But Wes Welker's the guy that he kind of developed. He turned into a top-tier slot receiver. Julian Edelman, he turned him into a top-tier slot receiver. So for me, I just don't get that argument. Everyone says, oh, Rodgers hasn't had top talent. He has. Especially now, you have the best receiver in football, a top 10 running back in football, a very good offensive line, and a top 15 defense. I don't know what what more you could ask for. I get it. Last year, you wanted a receiver in round one. They took Jordan Love. But Aaron Rodgers also has to realize he had a down year comparative to what he normally had, had dealt with injuries a couple years before that. I think you have to realize that, hey, Tom Brady had Jimmy Garoppolo drafted kind of the same area I mean late first Garoppolo's early second same type of area Tom Brady beat him out and got Jimmy Garoppolo traded because you just could not trade Tom Brady it's just a difference in mentality of these two quarterbacks and for me that's the reason why I think Tom Brady will always be a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers we're going to take our last break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct when we come back we'll keep on diving into this Aaron Aaron Rodgers topic but we'll also talk about another quarterback that got a job, but not as a quarterback. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HC2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me is David Meyer, as always. And before we went to break, we started talking about Aaron Rodgers and wanting out of Green Bay, and if that was the right move for him. Well, now we're going to start to look at maybe some of the teams that make sense for him. Obviously, there was probably more suitors before the draft, but now that the draft has already happened, what teams would make sense to make a move for Aaron Rodgers right now? I think you have the obvious ones. You have places like the Broncos, uh, maybe the 49ers if they trade Trey Lance. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I could see him going to the football team or the Colts, maybe. It would have to be a place that has a system already. They have everything good to go except a quarterback. That He needs to be the last piece 
in that puzzle, and I, I just I can't see him moving anywhere. He's just always been a Packer, and it would be weird to see him in any other jersey. Yeah, for me, there's a lot more teams that made sense before the draft. If you ask before the draft, I mean, the Raiders, and the Raiders still um, are a team that they would be interested in him, not necessarily that he would want to go to. The Broncos, the 49ers, for sure, and there's rumors that they put in an offer for him as well. And you look at some other teams that just thought, okay, maybe we're a quarterback away. We just saw Tom Brady sign a contract in Tampa and win a Super Bowl year one after we stacked our team. But, I mean, this late in the offseason, you already threw free agency, and you already uh, have now the draft. There's just not that many teams that make sense. Denver would make sense. Uh, he wants to go out to the West Coast. Denver's kind I mean, it's towards the West Coast, so uh, it's probably the farthest you're going to be able to get if you, unless you take Vegas. But neither of those spots are as good as Green Bay. I just don't, I don't think this ends with him getting traded. Now, if this would have happened a week before the draft, I could see this ending with him getting traded. Some more times for teams to make moves. And I do think a team like San Francisco would have been far more aggressive to go get Aaron Rodgers because the place they're at roster-wise, they're ready to be successful right now. But I think that this he's kind of stuck in Green Bay right now. And these other teams that we're talking about outside of San Francisco, you look at Denver and the Raiders, the two other most connected teams to him. You're not getting a better team whatsoever. Defensively, you're taking a step back on both those teams. Weapon-wise, I mean, Devontae Adams or Cortland Sutton, K.J. Hamler, and what they have there in Denver, Jerry Judy as well, I'm sticking with Devontae Adams, especially with years of chemistry that you built up. I just don't think any teams right now make sense for him. This just came out way too late. If this was free agency and this was coming out, there'd be so many more teams. But right now, teams are set. They have their plans in place. And to men- not to mention he wants a new contract, try clearing $40 million off your books right now in this point in the offseason. It would be near impossible for a lot of teams. And now our final point we'll talk about here on Aaron Rodgers, and I alluded to it a little bit, what I think. Come week one, is Aaron Rodgers a starting quarterback at the Green Bay Packers? Yes. He's going to be in Green Bay still, partially because I think he's just going to stay there overall. That's just my like gut feeling. But where where else is he going to go? Who is going to give the Packers a trade package that they feel comfortable enough moving on from their franchise quarterback, moving on from Aaron Rodgers? I, I can't think of a package of picks and players at all. I think it's just too high, whatever it is. The only way I see him not being the week one starter is either injury or him retiring, which he has said he might do. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Week one, Aaron Rodgers is going to be the quarterback in Green Bay. Yeah, there's a little bit of drama to it now, but I don't think any of this is new. I think it's been boiling all offseason long. And we've just been not really paying attention to it. A new story by Adam Scheffner comes out, and that's where we learn all this that he wants out. I think this has been going on all offseason long. Green Bay just keeps putting it off. We're not going to do it, not going to do it. And now to the point where it's just too late. You just can't do it. No one can make that happen. So for me, he's going to be Green Bay starter come week one. 
he's probably going to have to play his contract out that he's got left in Green Bay. I know he wants that new deal, but he's probably going to have to play that contract out and then he can pick his place in free agency like Tom Brady did. He Aaron Rodgers just started reading Tom Brady's book a little bit, and so maybe he'll uh, take a page out of Brady's book. So now our next topic we're going to get into tonight, Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars make, you can't call it a splash signing, but it is a relative, relatively big name for this late in the offseason. They signed former quarterback Tim Tebow as a tight end. Tim Tebow's 33 years old, hasn't played in the NFL in, I believe it's like eight years. It's been some time since Tim Tebow has played in the league. Not very successful quarterback-wise, not very successful H-back-wise. Does this move make any sense for you? Uh, not too much. I'm, I've always been a fan of like the low-risk, high-reward signings. Yeah, pay him the vet minimum and let's see what he can do in camp. We'll see what he can become, see what he has to offer. But I just, I can't imagine Tim Tebow being anything all that helpful. He was okay for the Broncos 10 years ago, but he hasn't played professional football since uh he hasn't been in a game since 2012 with the Jets he bounced around a couple uh practice squad teams but I just I can't see him being anything on this roster you can put him at tight end but he's I don't think he has the skill for blocking or route running in any capacity He's just, he's not a tight end. He's not a wide receiver. I i just don't fully understand it. Yeah, I really don't get where this move came from. I know the connection with Urban Meyer, obviously, but also you can make the same connection for Alex Smith in terms of if you want to bring in a competitive guy, a leader, Alex Smith could do that for you and be your backup quarterback and help out your brand new number one overall, number overall pick franchise QB. And you decide to bring in Tim Tebow to be this leader. If you brought him in as maybe like an assistant coach, okay, that is what it is. But to bring him in as a tight end, like this was an experiment the Jets tried 10 years ago, and it didn't work. They tried using him as an H-back. And I thought, I was watching ESPN the other day, and I thought it was really funny. Rex Ryan was talking about how this is going to work. He can beat a tight end, and it can work out in the NFL and he said, um, and the host of ESPN at the time that was on there, I believe it was NFL Live, said, didn't you sign him to be an H-back tight end? He said, yeah, yeah, I did. He goes, then why didn't that work out? And it's true. It didn't work 10 years ago. Why is it going to work now? And in terms of a lot of people talk about, oh, you don't bring in players because of what they bring to a team, kind of the media circus that's coming to them. You got a guy like Tim Tebow getting signed after not playing in 10 years at a brand-new position that he's never played in his NFL career. And you have other, like, good, talented players at home. A guy like Des Bryant struggling to find an NFL job when he is a still talented wide receiver, especially compared to Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow has not had anything near the career that Des Bryant has had. Then also you look at a guy like Colin Kaepernick, who was a wildly more successful quarterback 
went to a Super Bowl, won playoff games, has thrown 70 touchdown passes and nearly 10,000 yards since Tim Tebow last played in the NFL. All this stuff, when you look at it, it just doesn't make sense. Tim Tebow should not be in the NFL anymore. And that leads me to my next point. Do you think he makes a 53-man roster with the Jacksonville Jaguars? He shouldn't. He shouldn't. If he does, it's an absolute sham. Uh, I I don't believe he will, but I've seen weirder things happen. Uh, he he really should not get any playing time at tight end, or really just any playing time at all at any position. He was okay ten years ago, washed out of the league because he wasn't talented enough. So. He he should not make a roster now. Yeah, I agree 100%. He shouldn't be on a 53-man roster. If he is, you're definitely... And the Jacksonville Jaguars, I guess, are different because they don't necessarily have the most talented team. So you may not be losing a valuable piece to your team. But in terms of someone who's going to give you more production, anybody on your list, on your 90 players you have right now, is going to give you more production than Tim Tebow at 33 years old, at a brand new position. It just isn't going to work like that. Like I said, coach, okay, that's one thing. Bring him on as assistant coach. But to sign him back as a player at a whole new position, especially one where the Jaguars already don't have necessarily huge names at the tight end position, it doesn't make much sense to me what what are you bringing him in for. So for me, I'm not a huge fan of the Tebow signing whatsoever. In the final 15 minutes we have here tonight, we're going to get into some NBA talk here. The New York Knicks continue their great season they've had so far. Top five in the East right now. And also, when you look at this Knicks team, they've been successful by a guy named Julius Randle, who played formerly for the Lakers. Last night, he had a rematch, uh, a game against the Lakers, and it was pretty big for both sides. The Knicks continue to improve their standings within the East. While the Lakers are trying to avoid the play-in tournament, goes to double overtime. The Lakers come out on top, but the Knicks are still having a very good season. Still going to make the playoffs. Derrick Rose, Tom Thibodeau, they're very successful right now. They're doing really well. What has made them such a good team this season so far? Uh, Overall, I think it's been a change in mentality. The culture has gotten a lot better. I've always been a pretty big fan of Tom Thibodeau. He, he does have some uh, weaknesses or flaws, but he's a tough coach, very smart and defensive-minded, and Julius Randle has really bought into that. He's right now playing the best basketball of his career, uh, averaging a double-double with six assists. He's been playing really good defense, and he's added the three-point shot to his game, which helps stretch the floor with him uh, being a power forward. He's just really elevated his game, and it's elevated this team as a whole. I think they they can make some noise in the playoffs. I don't think they're going to be incredible, but there's a foundation that can be improved upon. Yeah, this next team... When you look at what they have, you talk about Julius Randle, and he has played fantastic this season. But for me, it's other role players that have stepped up big 
R.J. Barrett, their very early pick they had just a couple of years ago, averaging 17 points a game, almost 18. Derrick Rose, averaging 15 points a game, also playing really well. Then you have Alec Burks, averaging 12. Then you have some of these other guys, average, they have three more players averaging 11, 10, and 10. When you have all these guys, it's not necessarily just one or two players leading the charge for this team. They're going to be more successful. And another thing that's really helping the Knicks out is the East is extremely weak right now, extremely weak. So they're gonna they're gonna look successful within the East. I don't expect too much playoff noise, but talk about a good story to really watch moving forward is the New York Knicks and making the playoffs. And now speaking of them getting into the playoffs, what round do you see the Knicks having their exit from this year's playoffs? I think it depends on what seed they get. Right now, uh, it looks like they'll be matched up against uh, the Bucks, so that I have them being bounced round one. I think they can actually put up kind of a fight against the Bucks, but they don't have the star power to beat them. It would probably be maybe five, six games against the Bucks, which is nothing to sneeze at for a Knicks team that I thought was going to be much worse than they are. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, if you are the Knicks. Getting into that fifth spot would be huge because right now 6, 5, and 4 are all tied at 38 and 31. So moving your way up, especially if you can get into that fourth spot, playing a Hawks team or a Heat team, definitely a lot better than playing the Bucks. I mean... I don't think the Knicks have anyone that could guard Giannis. So if the playoffs started today, and that's the matchup, Knicks versus Bucks, first round exit, in my opinion. But if they're able to pull a team like the Hawks, I think they can get out of that playoff series with a win. The Heat would be tough because they are starting to get hot right now. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10. So they're starting to get hot, and they're a scary team. But All Depot is out for the remainder of the season. I think if you're the Knicks, you have to do everything you can to try to get a Hawks matchup. you got to try to hop the Hawks and the Heat, get into that fourth spot, and hope that the Heat drop a couple here, and the Hawks are going to be able to win a couple. The Hawks did win just tonight, so they do improve on their standings. But I think the Knicks, depending on who they get, Bucks first-round exit. But if they can get the Hawks, maybe they can get into that second round, and you never know. Once you get into that second round, you can start to make some noise. And one team that's actually below the Knicks, and they're in the seventh spot, is the Boston Celtics. And they're a team that a lot of people thought would be a top three team in the East, but they have struggled mightily this season compared to what they should have done. The Celtics struggling, was that a surprise to you? Absolutely. I Coming into this season, I thought they were going to be, uh, it was going to be kind of like a four-team race in the East uh, with the Nets the Sixers, the Bucks, and the Celtics. The Celtics are nowhere near those other three teams. They've just fallen off completely, and it's it's kind of hard to see why. They just have they. There's a level of talent they should be at, and they're just far beneath it. It's it's weird. That's I think that's the best way to put it. It's weird. 
Yeah, the Celtics should have been so much better, especially from a talent standpoint. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart even, Fournier. They have some talented guys in this locker room. They just didn't show up in big moments. You look at a bunch of games they let get away from them. This season, they were some closer games that they probably should have won. And then games you expect them, okay, they're going to win this game. They would end up getting blown out by a worse team than them. So when you look at that, it really just brought in this disaster of a season for the Celtics. And it's kind of top-heavy right now in terms of scoring. You have Jason Tatum averaging 26, Jalen Brown, who's out for the rest of the year, scoring 24, and Kemba Walker scoring 19. And then you get into Marcus Smart, Fournier, they're about 12 points a game. And then you get a drop-off there. It's just so top-heavy on three guys that if they don't show up for... You don't get all three of them to show up every single game, you're going to drop a few that you shouldn't. And that's exactly what we've seen from this Celtics team this season. And if you were the ownership of the Boston Celtics, you're Danny Ainge, do you blow it up next season, make some moves, and possibly get rid of a Kemba Walker pick between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are you going to blow this thing up and try to start new uh I'm not I am probably gonna try it out for at least see what next season how next season goes and if you are just kind of middle of the road or bad overall you can then kind of blow it up and trade some of those bigger pieces but even if you get bounced round one this year, I think you have the core intact that's pretty young overall and can just add some pieces, specifically at center. They're very thin there and have not uh, been very good. You add there, and I think next season you can bounce back. If you don't, then it's time to worry a little. Yeah, for me, I don't think I'm going to blow it up, like you said, but I am going to get rid of Kemba Walker. That's been something that, it's been two years now, and it hasn't been the results you've wanted. It's kind of like Kyrie Irving. You brought in Kyrie expecting a top-tier point guard and haven't got it. Kemba last season was much better than he has been this year. I'm moving on from Kemba Walker, trying to get another type of talent with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and like you said, it might be a center. You have your scoring guy. You have Jason Tatum, who is a just a true scorer for you, and Jalen Brown also. Kemba Walker, he's not necessarily a facilitator like most point guards, like you would like from your point guards. He only averages four assists a game. You can get that from Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and probably even Marcus Smart most nights. So for me, I'm getting rid of Kemba Walker. I'm getting a facilitating point guard. It doesn't have to be a top-tier name like Kemba Walker, but just a true facilitator at the point guard position. And then from there, I'm going to look for a center. Like you said, you need more talent on this team. And I think it starts by getting rid of Kemba and his contract, and it opens some things up to keep these younger guys and improve your team moving forward. And now we're going to move into the West here. The Golden State Warriors have looked fantastic down the stretch here so far. In their last two games, they've beaten the one and two seeds in the West, respectively. We talked about this Warriors team a lot recently. Are they a legit contender to win it all in the West? 
I think it's possible. It really, really depends on like the matchups they have and the route through the playoffs that they'll have to take, who they match up against. But in the end, it really falls on Steph Curry. He has to be the best player on the floor when he's on the floor. That's just what he has to do for this team to win. They In the NBA, if you have the best player on the floor at any given time, you're going to have a chance to win. So he has to be that best player. That's, that's how they win, with him being just out of his mind talented. Yeah, and that's one thing a lot of people question about Steph Curry, especially when they were winning championships and Kevin Durant was there. Was, Is Steph Curry good enough to win by himself? He's not good enough. He needs Kevin Durant. He's proven that he can be successful, and this team's going to be even scary as you look into the future once Klay Thompson's back and some of these younger guys that they have develop a little bit more. This team has a lot of potential, and in terms of looking at the Western Conference right now, they're currently in the in the uh, play-in game, but you look at it, they, they'd have to play the Jazz game uh, round one currently, but if they can possibly move up a little bit here, look at a team like the Lakers and Mavericks and also the Trailblazers, they're all still in reach of the Warriors currently. It'd take a little bit, but all still in reach. And if they were able to pull that off, that would move them into like the sixth seed. You're looking at the Trailblazers, uh, possibly there, or even the Nuggets as a playoff matchup. I think there's a lot of interesting scenarios for this Warriors team. It depends if they get some things to go their way. If they get a team like the Grizzlies for the play-in game, I think they easily beat the Grizzlies and move on. The Grizzlies have a lot of young talent, but they're not on the level of Steph Curry right now. And then you look at a team like the Lakers. They have not been healthy all season long. Anthony Davis, LeBron James still missing games. If they were to have a play-in game, that'd be very difficult on them because they haven't played together in so long. They would want to get a series where they can just get, okay, we just have to win four games. We can go from there. So that would be dangerous for them. But when you look at this Warriors team, all the way up, just pure talent-wise, outside the Lakers, they're on a talent level right there at the Nuggets, Clippers, Suns, Jazz. They're right there. So I think it's going to be a scary matchup for anybody. Do I think they're going to the finals? No. But I don't think they're going to be knocked out first round. And I think they're going to make some noise in this postseason because they have one thing that the one seed, the two seed, and and even kind of the third seed don't have. And that's playoff experience and deep playoff experience. And now still looking at the Warriors here, I talked about them making it deep into the playoffs. Do you think it's a realistic possibility that they could make it to the conference finals in such a crowded West? I think it's possible. It's just, it's really going to depend on where they are seated. If they can avoid the play-in tournament, if they can leapfrog the Lakers and the Mavericks and go against the three seed, I think they have a chance to possibly make the uh, conference finals. But if they have to go through the play-in tournament and round one play the Suns or the Jazz, it's going to be really tough to beat those teams in a seven-game series. And I don't think they can, personally. But there is 
a reality where they do get that sixth seed and can pull some stuff out and make it to the conference finals. I don't think they win the conference finals or the NBA finals overall, but they're going to be a tough out overall. Yeah, they will be. And you look at it right now, they're probably the hottest team in basketball right now. Steph Curry's, there's a picture going around with four defenders on him last night, and he's barely past half court. That's how much of a problem he is for teams. And one thing we didn't get into at the beginning of the show was our athlete athlete of the week. So I'm going to go through that real quick. At the end of the month, the NBA playoffs will get underway. Every Tuesday this month, we're going to look at some of the best NBA playoff performances. And our second performance of the month was delivered by Flash, or better known as Dwayne Wade. In the 2006 NBA Finals, after falling behind 2-0 to the Dallas Mavericks, Dwayne Wade led a charge in what would be one of the best finals comebacks in NBA history. Wade scored 42 points while shooting 54% from the field. He grabbed 13 boards and had two steals. This performance would lead the Miami Heat to a Game 3 victory and would also go on to lead them to a series victory in the 2006 Finals. And be on the lookout next week as we post our next athlete of the week. And that's everything we have for you tonight on Unsportsmanlike Conduct. If you're on social media, be sure to check us out at KALA underscore UC. Or if you're on Facebook, at Unsportsmanlike Conduct. Thank you for listening, and good night. See ya.